Welcome to the Asset Management Fridays edition of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 45 years of combined experience in operations and management and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems, manage their properties more efficiently, and become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Asset Management Friday segment of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. This segment is focused on educating operators, building better systems, and becoming a best-in-class operator. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. How many times have you thought, there has to be a better way while working through endless rent rolls and historicals? Enter Red IQ, who will process and standardize them, generate deep and accurate property insights, and bring you through the final underwriting all in just five minutes. As for underwriting, thanks to Red IQ's new Excel add-in called QuickSync, you can continue using your own model and instantaneously populate it with the data from Red IQ with just the click of a button. Request a demo today at RedIQ.com. All right, today on the show, we have Ellie Perlman. How are you doing, Ellie? I'm doing great, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. If you can start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Yes. So I can start with what I currently do. I think that's more interesting, which is multifamily. So I buy large multifamily properties, usually 200 to 500 units in interesting growing markets like Georgia, Texas, Florida, the Carolinas. And a little bit about my background. So I actually started... I've been in real estate for over a decade now. I started as a real estate lawyer back in 2007, witnessed the crash with my clients. So I learned what not to do, you know, during a a financial crisis and how to become, how to be very conservative. Then, you know, after working as a lawyer, I was asset manager slash property manager. And then all of that was actually in Israel. Then I moved to the States. I went to MIT. I got an MBA degree. And shortly after I started, you know, after graduation, I started Blue Lake and, you know, started buying multifamily properties. And that's what I do today. Well, thanks for joining us. I know you just recently closed a deal uh, dealing with Pref Equity. So let's talk about that today. So what exactly is Pref Equity and when would you use it? Absolutely. So Pref Equity is, it's a source of equity from a large group, it, it can be anywhere between five, six million dollars, all the way to twenty, twenty-five, thirty million dollars. It's usually coming from certain groups that are interested in the asset, and they're you know they like to write larger checks because they don't want to invest in five, six different assets every month. They like to pick specific assets. And when you think about it, you know, we know what debt is, obviously, you go to a lender, and you get a loan. And you have equity, which is, you know, investors, normally pref equity sits somewhere in between debt and equity. So it's a large check, kind of similar, like a lender that's going to write you a large check. And usually they're getting paid before your investors get paid. So again, it looks, you know, the group behaves like a lender, but they're not 
a lender. So they're getting paid after you pay your lender, let's say it's a Freddie Mac loan, you pay your lender. Then if there's any money left, you pay the prep equity group, then investors, and then you. That's usually, you know, this is usually how you work through the cash flow. And normally, and listen, there's a lot of groups out there and every perfectity group has its own structure, but many groups say, okay, we're going to write you a certain check. I think the minimum, many, many groups work with a minimum of nine or $10 million. We're, we want X amount, uh, you know, return every month or every quarter, every year. So they set up a certain, it can be 5%, 7%. And in that sense, again, they look more like a lender because they get a certain amount of the cash flow. They don't participate on the back end. So they don't get anything when you sell the property. What you need to do is make sure that you have enough money to pay them their minimum returns, you know, every month or every quarter, whatever, whatever, you know, the arrangement is usually monthly. And have you gotten pushback from your regular investors because now they're in almost like third position, basically, you know, after the lender and the prep equity? And if so, how have you been able to combat that? Yeah, so not really, because in a sense, it's like a lender. So normally, a deal works with prep equity group, if you're trying to get to a certain LTV. So let's say you want to get to a 75% LTV, but the lender is willing to give you only 70% LTV, then the gap, you just go to the pref equity group and you bring the funds. Just This is just an example. So in a way, it doesn't really matter because it's as if there are two different lenders and you're paying you know, the lender before you pay them. But also I think, I think it's an interesting question. This is where conservative underwriting you know, very relevant because you say, hey, right now, if I run the numbers, there's enough money to pay the lender, the pref equity group and investors. And we're assuming that we're not even raising rent in the first 12 months of operations. But if you're actually planning to raise rents and start renovating, then that helps, you know, that puts investors at, at ease because they know, okay, even in the worst case scenario, underwriting, I'm still getting paid, then I believe that this group that I'm investing with can actually, you know, overperform because the underwriting is very conservative and that kind of, you know, that makes them feel a little bit more comfortable, but it's not extremely different. There is a difference, but it's not very, very different than having basically a lender in prep equity group. And you basically treat them like one lender that needs to get paid, you know, before investors get paid. And remember as sponsors, we get paid last. We're in the very, you know, bottom of, you know, the list. So we are even more incentivized to work even harder to make sure that by the time our turn, you know, by the time it's our turn to get paid, that there's actually going to be enough money for us, you know, to pay ourselves. So, yeah, you don't have to remind Kyle and I about that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) This is a performance based role that we're in and I'm all for it. I'm a big sports guy and I, and I'm all for like performance-based, you know, hey. But tell us something about the pros and cons of, uh, of using prep equity. So I think the, I'm going to start with the cons because I want to end up on a high note. You know, obviously you have another group that is doing a very, very thorough due diligence on you as a sponsor, on the assets, they're touring the assets that you're managing so far, they're going to tour the assets that you're asking them to invest in or, you know, join. So 
you know, the legal costs are almost double because it's as if you're hiring your lawyers to negotiate with another lender. It's, you know, you have another term sheet, you have another, you know, agreement. And normally the perfectity group is going to require you to give them, you know, some guarantees because unlike Freddie, yes, it's a non-recourse loan because, you know, they have the asset. If you don't pay, they can go to the asset and sell it. Pref equity groups don't have it because they're not lenders. So there's no lien on the property that secured their debt. It's basically your good name, your reputation, your track record. So they put a lot of emphasis into really looking into who you are. And in that sense, actually, some of my investors liked it because they said, oh, if a large group did all the work to research the property, you, you know, the team, and they think it's a good deal, then me, without all the resources, you know, I feel more comfortable in that to invest. It's like an angel investor that invests, you know, here and there, just one man show kind of, you know, single investor. And I, I'm an angel investor too. When I see startups that are backed by large VCs, I know that, okay, I have resources, but I don't have this billion dollar, you know, company's resources. If they've done the work and they've invested, then I feel more comfortable. And it's kind of the same here. So these are the cons, just, you know, more negotiations, you need to provide some securities. So they're looking more into your financials and your track record, and they're doing a even more thorough due diligence than the lender. The pros is that you can actually do larger deals because you know that, you know, instead of raising $10 million extra, you can work with a group and they'll basically, you know, provide this financing too. If your lender, you know, your servicer is actually bringing the group to the table, it's extremely helpful because they know you and they know them and they're mediating, you know, they're sitting very, very close to the deal. So they can talk about the deal. They can talk about their experience working with you as a sponsor. That's another pro that definitely, definitely helps. And, you know, I think just generally speaking, it just opens the door to, it's kind of a step up in your game as a syndicator. Now you're doing much larger deals. And once one group is interested and invested with you, you kind of open up the door to keep doing those large deals and keep bringing either working with the same, you know, sponsor, because if not all the same private equity group, because if not all the, the research, they're more likely to invest with you again. And then other groups are looking into your deals and looking into you as a sponsor that, you know, can bring them more deals. So it definitely helps with scaling and doing larger deals, more doors. It's almost the same amount of work with the exception of raising, you know, more money. But anything other than that is pretty much the same. Great advice. Do you have things a new syndicator should look out for when dealing with prep equity? New syndicators will find it very challenging. But doing your first prep equity deal. Mm. I think my number one advice is if you're working with a lender, with a servicer, just have them bring you, you know, just ask them, do you work with pref equity groups? It's going to be a lot easier. You know, we're working with Northmark, for instance. It's a lot easier when they bring you the deal because they already have those relationships and it's going to save some time on negotiation also. And they can match the right group to you because they know you, especially if you've done a few deals with them. It helps with building the relationships because they can talk about who you are as a sponsor. And many of them you don't know, but many of them, you know, 
Northmark, but also CBRE and, you know, a lot of other large servicers, they're actually in brokers, they actually have those relationships and they match between those groups. So I think that would be if I wanted to start, I would start there. They're more likely to look at a deal that you have if let's say Northmark or another servicer is going to present it to them, then you just reaching out, doing a cold call, sending out an email. They get those emails all the time. But when the same you know, financial institution that has been extending loans to them in the past is, is telling them, hey, we're working with a client of ours. They're looking to you know, place $10 million. I think it could be a good fit. We've worked with them before. They've performed very well, especially during COVID. Would you like to look at this deal? It's just a different conversation. Yeah, that's really good advice. So obviously, you know, when you're moving up the food chain, working with Pref Equity, there, you know, the loan is bigger. You're dealing with the higher requirements for net worth and liquidity. Does the mm-hmm. Pref Equity partner help out with that? Or if not, like, how are you solving that issue? That's a good question. I don't know because we didn't use them for our net worth and liquidity. Maybe. You know, everything is possible. I think if you compensate someone well enough, they might do it. I don't know if that's what they're used to do or if it's an option. But I think, you know, if you compensate someone, you know, some, you know, a group, then perhaps it's not a bad idea. I didn't think about it before. It's not a bad idea. And would you use Pref Equity again? Probably. It's a lot of work. I got to say, you know, even after closing, there are a lot more reporting that they require compared to Freddie. So for instance, Freddie or Fannie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, once a quarter, you need to send them the T12, certified T12 and rent roll. And if you took a loan for the CapEx, then there's, you know, some Excel spreadsheets you need to send them with description of the work that was done, how much it cost you and a copy of the receipts. And that's about it. When it comes to perfectity, you have a lot more, you know, that could be a monthly, you know, you need to send the reports on a monthly basis. You need to send bank statements and, you know, some, the reporting is deeper because again, they don't have the property. They don't have any lien on the property. So they're basically, it's kind of, you know, the debt is not that secure. So they need more layers of scrutiny. And I also think, once they work with the syndicator and you've paid them on time, then the next time it's going to be easier. And then maybe they don't need to see the T12 every month. You know, once a quarter is enough. But especially when you're starting out, there's like, there's more scrutiny and reporting that is required. So just make sure if you do it, that you have the bandwidth to do it. And if not, hire people that can help you submit all those you know, reports because you don't want to miss a report. So we have an asset management team, but we also have on my calendar reminders 10 days before the deadline. So I can start seeing if they're even working on it because I don't want to be, you know, late. It's everything has to be on time. I'm going to pass it over to Kyle to take us home. All right, Ellie, what is your asset management superpower? I like details from my past past life as a lawyer. I used to read, you know, 100, 200 page, you know, contracts. So in finding what section is not working with another section, 50 pages, you know, earlier. So I would say attention to detail is that's pretty key when it comes to asset management. And also I think project management skills, just to know who needs to do what and making sure that you see 
the picture, you know, that you actually see everything and it's very granular. So, you know, this is how much I need to increase the NOI starting at month 13. So in month 24, I can match the cash on cash to year one to year two projections. So it starts way ahead of it. And then every line item, what can I do to drive NOI? So that level of granularity, that's what I enjoy doing. Awesome. Love that. All right. Well, Ellie, we appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about preferred equity. Can you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you? Yes. Actually, it's pretty easy. You Google Ellie Perlman or, you know, just type ellieperlman.com and you'll see my website. Perfect. Everyone listening in, thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like this episode, please give us a like, subscribe, and review on iTunes or Stitcher so we continue to grow this audience. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.